It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Uh, this book is trying to get at, at the root of... Uh, I think is what is probably the biggest ideal in democratic societies. This is Free Exchange from CapEx. I'm Oliver Wiseman, CapEx's editor. My guest this week is Cass Sunstein, a professor at Harvard Law School and one of America's most prominent and prolific academics. Cass is best known for Nudge, which he wrote more than a decade ago with Richard Thaler. Its publication launched a policy revolution, which I think makes it one of the most consequential books of recent decades. Thaler won the Nobel Prize in Economics in 2017, and he and Cass's application of behavioural economics to public policy questions has changed the way governments think about problems ranging from cancer diagnosis to why people don't save enough. The UK has been at the cutting edge of the nudge revolution, with Whitehall's behavioural insights team putting into practice the central nudge insight that there are ways in which government can improve people's decision-making without resorting to bans, taxes, and mandates. Cass joined me down the line from his office in Massachusetts. I started by asking him about On Freedom, his new book in which he takes the nudge argument further, claiming we need to redefine freedom of choice altogether. Okay, well, let's start with, um, let's start with a quote from the book, um, which is, freedom of choice should be cherished, but cherishing it is hardly enough. Um, I think that's a good way into... Uh, your argument. Uh, why don't you explain kind of the, the basic thesis in On Freedom? Well, uh, if you have freedom of choice, uh, that's generally very important and crucial, um, but you might not know how to get to where you want to go. So you might be you know, on a street and driving, and uh, if you don't have directions or a GPS or street signs, uh, you're going to get lost. And we might think, I think we should think, that the problem of navigability is uh, faced by people all over the world, and it is a terrible obstacle to freedom if you can't solve that problem. So if you have a health question and you can't find your way to a doctor who can help you navigate your medical condition, you are to that extent less free. If you are suffering from a problem of um, you know, economic distress and one route would be to get job training and get a job, another route would be to get some money, and you can't find the route uh, 
R-O-U-T-E, then you are um, in in a terrible state of unfreedom. So the suggestion is that uh, we often emphasize uh, coercion as a problem, and it sure is, but we often give too little attention uh, to the fact that people often lack a way to get where they want to go. And this, I mean, this obviously follows on uh, very closely from your your work um, on nudge um, policies and the the book um, the book on that you wrote uh, with Richard Thaler uh, more than a decade ago. Um, so, so what sort of what is the piece of the puzzle that this is sort of adding? If you see what I mean. Well, the word I think that I wish we'd used in the book Nudge is navigability. It has too many syllables, but it gets at uh, a big issue that nudges help solve. Uh, So the first goal really is to put on the general agenda uh, the challenge of um, finding a way to one's preferred destination and that that is something that citizens in all nations face and that good policies from the public sector and good policies from the private sector often solve. When I worked in the U.S. government, which is something I did for a number of years between this book and the Nudge book, uh, I saw in in real time that uh, large companies, small companies, ordinary people would say, you know, what you're suggesting, we don't know if we don't like it even, but we don't know how to do what you're trying to tell us. We don't know exactly what you want us to do to get from here to there. And to see that from the position of the White House kind of uh, put a bright spotlight on something I didn't really see when we were doing Nudge. The the other thing I, I wanted to do with this book is uh, to get a little more ambitious, really, about a defining ideal in all societies. That is the ideal of freedom. And in Nudge, we were emphatic that to preserve freedom of choice is, is usually a really good idea because people um, know a lot about the, uh, what, they, what they care about and to allow them to find a way to have what they consider to be a good life is, is a crucial aspect of freedom. Uh, but we were really focused on policies and on behavioral science. Uh, this book is trying to get at, at the root of, uh, I think, is what is probably the biggest ideal in democratic societies, and to try to figure out uh, what we might have missed in thinking about coercion as the uh, defining problem. And so, the, you know, you, you think the fairly straightforward cases are ones where you, people want to get from A to B. And as you say, you're just helping them make that journey. Um, uh, you know, they know that they know that saving for their pension is a good thing to take a good nudge example. But, um, you know, you just set up the choice architecture, to use your phrase, in a way that helps them do that. But um, there are there are there are trickier cases, aren't there? I mean, you talk about ones where people have very little self-control um so maybe talk about how should we think about freedom and choice architecture for someone who is say uh, a drug addict or a gambling addict and, and you know these are more difficult cases um in your framework yes. and, and they have urgency because there's uh, acute human suffering that um could be remedied and uh, we ought to get started yesterday so if someone has uh 
a problem with with gambling or if they have a problem with cigarettes, which is you know not maybe as severe as the problem with certain kinds of drug addictions at least if they're an alcoholic um, uh, many people and I confess I'm one have uh, people in their families who struggled very seriously with alcoholism, so this is abs- it's not an abstract thing though we're talking about an abstract ideal freedom uh, the the challenge for many people who suffer from self-control problems, of which addiction is the most extreme case, is, is, is how do we fix that? And to do that, it's, it's as if, for some people with really serious self-control problems, it's as if they're blind and, and, and they, they can't navigate the world. That's a metaphor which some specialists have used to capture the problem of addiction. And to overcome it, really, what is needed is... Um, uh, something like a GPS device. And many doctors who've had success with addicts or individuals who've had success in their own lives with self-control problems, it may be involve a gambling problem, it may involve uh, you know, romantic behavior, which is not uh, in the interest, let's say, of the people involved. Uh, many of them have, have, have found a way. And the way might involve development of a new habit. It might involve um, uh, use of a social network of one kind or another. It might involve um, constraints that are voluntarily um, submitted to as a way of ensuring that you know there aren't uh, drinks around or there aren't drugs around and and these things are harder than the than the easy simple case of you know I want to get from one place to another because for an addict uh, there really is a desire to get uh, get the thing that they're addicted to or if you have a self-control problem, you know, you procrastinate, let's say, before you uh, get to work or you uh, are unable to do something that's in your long-term economic interest, uh, or for a nation, it may have a self-control problem with respect to some environmental or economic problem. Uh, people really do want uh, to do the thing now. That is, they want to do the uh, thing that they enjoy now or to avoid the pain of now, which would would involve uh, long-term gain, so it's not it's not as simple a case as a GPS device, um, and there is an account of freedom which some you know libertarians would be interested in, which says if someone wants to keep drinking or keep smoking or uh, not save and spend today, uh, that's not a problem. That's how they that, that's how they uh, exercise their their, their freedom. Uh, in my view, that's too simple because people have in their minds uh, a, a very uh, clear idea, which is that they, they're in the grip of something. We say we're in the grip of an addiction or that some aspect of their um, own behavior is uh, defeating their capacity for, let's say, long-term freedom. So there's a little war within the self, and uh, people often want the war to be won, let's say, to the side that takes the uh, the long-term into account. And, and, and they need something like uh, a solution to a navigation problem uh, to do that. Okay. Um, the, um, the British government has actually, you know, been surprisingly, um, I don't know why I say surprisingly, maybe it's not surprising, but the British government's been at the sort of cutting edge of lots of, uh, lots of the nudge stuff, um, with, with the nudge unit here in Britain. So, um, 
I'd be interested just in this is just a general question, but I mean, your experience of what's happened in in Britain and the effectiveness of that and, um, um, you know, how closely you follow the, the nudge unit here um, from over there. Um, okay, so in, in our White House, um, I had some role in doing a lot of nudge policies. Uh, uh, so I saw that close hand from the uh, standpoint of, of our government. And I was uh, a frequent um, uh, interlocutor with my uh, British counterparts. David Halpern is a great friend. And I have many friends in the uh, UK Behavioral Insights team and um, the occasional visitor to them. I greatly admire them. So uh, their recent report, uh, that is the one for the previous year, uh, shows that they are spectacularly successful, uh, unquestionably one of the world's leaders. And the reason they're they're so good, is in addition to just um, uh, tremendous talent, is that they are uh, great at identifying problems and thinking what might be, uh, uh, if not a solution, at least a way of denting the problem. So they might think, well, there's a problem that um, some doctors aren't getting their patients to uh, urgent care cancer treatment quickly enough. And this is not a hypothetical example. This is a real example. So they would not- notify the doctors in who, who are slower than the usual, that they're slower than the usual. And the doctors see that and they uh, get faster and they get people in urgent care more quickly. And that's you know a spectacular achievement. You're saving some lives there. Or they might see that people aren't switching from one electricity provider to another because inertia is a very powerful force. So send people some communication suggesting that they can save money if they, they switch. And the communication has had a significant effect in in switching people to better energy providers and and and, and saving the money. Uh, worldwide, some of the biggest examples of uh, successful nudges actually uh, aren't in the recent report, which has about you know 40 examples of successful ones, but they're not massive. I'll give you some massive ones. Um, switching the uh, default for uh, free ch- children's meals uh, in my country from uh, you have to sign up to uh, you're automatically in is giving in any given year between 10 and 13 million children, uh, poor children, uh, access to free school meals. And that, that's a statistic, but that's a, that's a fantastically large effect. Uh, in cases that include the UK, shifting from uh, opt-in to a pension plan to opt out where you're automatically enroll, enrolled has had a, you know, we're getting a, a huge increase in participation rates. Uh, for programs that involve uh, relief of poverty, uh, shifting from uh, a very complicated design to a very simple, simple design uh, is having big effects in increasing participation rates. So what we're seeing is that uh, simplification of complex requirements and switching from uh, opt-in to opt-out regimes, the latter in the context of climate change, by the way, in Germany, uh, produces a big dent in uh, greenhouse gas emissions because if people are automatically enrolled in greener energy, the percentage of people who opt out is actually quite small. 
uh, the presenter people opt in if you're asked, do you want to go into green energy? This is not very big, not because people don't want to be in, but because it's a bother. So whether we're talking about uh, climate change, environmental problems in general, um, uh, health care or uh, poverty reduction, uh, sometimes we're talking about hundreds of thousands or millions of people. And I mean, you know, listening to that, it's it's uh, it's been a not just a success, successful idea in theory, but fantastically successful in practice as well um, over the last uh, decade or so. So, I mean, I assume you still run into some objections to to nudge um, to nudging. Um, and if so, uh, what what are the most persistent ones? Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Well, I'd say the uh, the one I hear most is that it's a form of manipulation, and um, there's a good moral instinct behind that concern, which is that the government ought not to be manipulating people. It should be respectful of individual dignity, and one of the impetuses, really, for the current book, the, the, the book that deals with freedom, is to uh, take the manipulation concern seriously and to use it not as a basis for an argument, really, but as a basis for seeing what paths of uh, interventions are obviously not subject to the manipulation concern. And if you have um, a GPS device or if someone who's suffering from mental illness, let's say, is uh, given a route by which they can uh, deal with, let's say, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder or depression, uh, that to say that's a form of manipulation is uh, really hard. Uh, there are some forms of nudges where we could have a, a pretty interesting discussion of whether there's manipulation. If the government isn't transparent about what it's doing, then at least there should be a red flag that's going up if it's affecting people covertly. Uh, but many uh, nudge interventions, they're 
actually educative. They could be a reminder, as in the case of uh, reminding people of the availability of a program or reminding people that if they don't pay their credit card bills on time, they're going to be suffering from a late fee. Those aren't manipulative reminders. But if you have a default rule that automatically enrolls in some people in something, you don't want to catch people by accident. You want to be clear that they are automatically enrolled. It probably should be clear that the reason they're automatically enrolled is that for most people it's a reasonable idea. But to avoid any risk of uh, trapping people, you want to be clear that they sh- they should um, be allowed to opt out. As I say, we have in our moral ideals in this unifies a lot of nations. I'm recently back from the Middle East, and the commonalities completely overpower the differences. Uh, people believe that there's uh, individual dignity, that each of us should be treated with respect, and they believe that uh, it's important to give people an opportunity to have a good life. And you can see the first as a Kantian theme, and the second you can see as a Benthamite theme, and Kant and Bentham are often thought to be at opposite poles. One believes in you know, utility, that's Bentham, and the other believes in uh, treating people as ends, not means, that's Kant. And there are wars between these two approaches, not literal wars, thank goodness, but a war of, wars of words. Uh, they, they march hand in hand in saying that you know, people shouldn't be manipulated. That's often not going to be in their interest, in Benthamite terms, and it's not treating them as ends. Um, the kinds of interventions we're now discussing and the kinds the UK uh, team has been uh, pressing, uh, they don't defend Benthamite uh, principles if they have good consequences, and they typically do. Thank goodness they are testing, testing, testing to make sure. And they don't defend uh, Kantian principles either because they do treat people with respect, certainly if they're educative. And if they're saving people uh, time, as an opt-out procedure does, or if they're simplifying participation rates, uh, which is something the uh, U.S. team and the U.K. team, Singapore, Canada, uh, Qatar, there's, there's interest in this all over the world, that really increases navigability. So a spotlight may be that the UK has put on uh, large ideals as well as on uh, daily practice is that if you can help people find their way to their preferred destination, especially if they're suffering or struggling, that is a way of showing them respect. And if you fail to do that, that's disrespectful, and it's it's likely to have good consequences for people. And you uh, you invoke uh, Hayek, don't you, in in, in on freedom uh, to sort of make the case. I mean, a similar point about maybe talk about how he sort of how you work him into this. Yes, so Hayek is a great hero of mine. He's the greatest critic of socialism ever, and uh, his kind of enduring. Uh, claim, and I think it's fair to call it a demonstration, is that markets have a lot more information than any government planners can ever have, Uh, not because the planners are stupid or malevolent. Hayek was willing to uh, stipulate that the planners have good motives and they're smart. They're just not going to know as much. So if the market says the price of eggs is X, uh, the market has information from tons of people who are deciding whether to buy the eggs. And that's true for shoes and laptops and uh, cell phones. It's true for all products that have market prices. 
So uh, that's a very important point, and it argues in favor of uh, freedom-preserving interventions and against coercion because people can go their own way. Uh, This wouldn't suggest, and Hayek didn't believe, that there's no place for coercion. There is a place for coercion. People can't murder each other or rape each other or uh, sexually harass each other. That wasn't in Hayek's time, the legal principle, but I think it fits very much with his framework. But where people are uh, trying to find their own way, then to uh, take on board Hayek's point is, I think, a very good idea. Hayek didn't see the point we're now discussing. That is the obstacle to freedom that's posed by challenges of navigability. But I think it's in the spirit of his um, general framework, let's say, to say that's uh, that's a gap that he would like to see filled. At least I hope so. Um, the kind of Hayekian twist I, I would give to to my own point is that often a uh, a nudger, let's say, or a choice architect uh, will not know as much as the chooser will. And that's a reason for humility. So a a chooser might have, over the course of a, a lifetime, you know, a thousand and one things he or she is balancing. You know, I, I want to be healthy. I want to be thin. I want to love my meals. I, I really like brownies and chocolate and pancakes in the morning are great. And I'm trying to balance these things in multiple different ways. And that is, uh, I think, uh, in spirit, it's not high exclaim about markets, but you can think, see an individual, given the assortment of things any one of us cares about, we're a little like a market in our own life in the sense that there's a lot of knowledge we have about a lot of different things we care about. And that is a a cautionary note for choice architects. Now, since anyone who runs a website or any government that has a program or any parent who has a child is a choice architect, whether it wants to be or not, we, we shouldn't say don't do choice architecture, but we can say do choice architecture in a way that's attentive to the diversity of values and preferences that people have. And that argues first and foremost for uh, preserving the freedom of choice, not necessarily for little kids. I have a six-year-old myself, and she gets to do a lot of stuff on her own, but uh, but her freedom is not as full as it will be when she is, let's say, 30. Uh, uh, um, but still have for adults freedom of choice, respecting the diversity of their values and giving them opportunities to go in multiple different directions. So uh, to see the government in the private sector, I think this is also very important, whether it's a credit card company or a uh, insurance company or a hospital or a criminal justice system, uh, where, of course, there's going to be coercion. But in any of these, to see um, a degree of uh, openness to the challenge people have in navigating these systems with uh, markers that uh, make the experience as as simple as possible. And what I want to emphasize is simplification in a way seems like a time saver, but it's much more than that. It's often a lifesaver. It makes all the difference for many people all over the world in whether they go to jail or not or whether they get a job or not. Hmm. Um, If I could uh, broaden things out a little bit, uh, next, you're, um, you know, listening to you talk there. This is a very data-driven, um, uh, practical, um, non-partisan approach to um, to government, um, and in that sense, it seems 
completely, uh, if you don't mind me saying, it seems completely at odds with the current sort of political mood uh, in America and elsewhere. So, um, you know, is this sort of is this sort of policy making kind of possible when? you know, voters can't agree on how many people were at Trump's inauguration or, you know, when you can't have a shared set of facts that you're talking about, this sort of um, approach, how, 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 does, how do you square those things? Well, you know, when I was in our government, I saw a disconnect between the daily headlines uh, and what's really going on. So uh, there are daily headlines about uh, tweets from our president, but not long ago, our Department of Transportation reaffirmed a, uh, a rule which requires cameras in all new cars so that you can see behind you. It's called the revisibility rule, and it's saving lives. It's a data-driven rule. It's not very expensive, and it prevents small people uh, children and uh, often elderly people who can't be seen, it prevents them from getting hit because the drivers can see in back. It's fantastic. It's a lifesaver. The Trump administration uh, didn't just embrace it and enthusiastically embraced it. The reason is the data. Uh, with respect to air pollution, uh, particulate matter is a uh, very bad pollutant, hurts people all over the world, actually produces deaths. Uh, the Trump administration has reaffirmed the Obama particulate matter regulation quietly. There's a regulation involving ozone, which is not a very good air pollutant, and the Trump administration has reaffirmed that too. And I, I won't bore you, but I could say, I could give maybe 740 off the top of the head examples that are just like this. And the, that's actually pathetic, but true. This is what I used to do in government, so I have 740. And they are accepted by, the, by our government because the technical people say, you know, this makes a lot of sense. And the Trump White House, even if the president is tweeting, uh, is not uh, changing it. Or they might be doing something that's quiet, but that is driven by data. In fact, we just passed a law recently requiring evidence-based policymaking or Congress and uh, I'm just back from the Netherlands, uh, which is admittedly not a country that's in the news for being uh, abandoning uh, facts, but the insistence in the Netherlands on fact-based policymaking is completely inspiring and self-evident. And in Germany, the same is true. And uh, I'm not a complete expert on the UK government, and I know there's a lot of noise about some things which don't seem data-driven. Um, Rather but, a busy time uh, of it. But I know many policymakers there who are very quietly with respect to uh, issues involving safety and health and uh, the environment. They are um, as insistent on data as you could possibly imagine. So, so your point is that there are some there are some policy decisions where the data is just so overwhelmingly in favor of making a certain call that you just it's not a you know anyone would make that call is that that's what I, you're saying? I, I would say that, and 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 I'd put it even more strongly. There there are some decisions where the data is disputed, but that the uh, the weight of the evidence goes in one direction. And for uh, a dazzling number of cases, uh, it doesn't matter whether you're in one political party or another political party, uh, you go with the weight of the evidence. And I saw in, in government that happen time and again. Sometimes it meant uh, 
the Obama administration would go to the right. Sometimes it meant it would go to the left. And notwithstanding the tumult that we're seeing from uh, some recent events in the United States, uh, that that is still happening every day. It just doesn't hit the headlines. So I should say that <laughs> that's a opportunistic cough. I should say that I'm not a not a tremendous fan of President Trump. I think he's done some good things on balance. I think this is not a terrific moment for U.S. government. Uh, in fact, I put it even more strongly than that. In some ways, it's a you know very dispiriting moment for the U.S. government, uh, notwithstanding the fact that he's done some good things. But even so, the in, in, the interest in data-driven policymaking. Uh, uh, crushes in the sense of dominates the interest in uh, you know uh, intuition-driven policy making in terms of sheer numbers of choices. That was Cass Sunstein on nudges. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian-developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.